The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. I hope everyone is doing great. As you noticed, I was not here yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're over here on the video audience at pain.tv slash gold, you may notice that I look a little older to you maybe if you're listening on the free side on the audio podcast there might i may sound a bit older to you of course i'm stumbling on my words so i may sound like a senior citizen who is starting to lose his mind but ladies and gentlemen i am older yesterday was my birthday i turned 42 years old born on january 19th 1981 that was the day before ronald reagan was sworn in as president And you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. That's what it means, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I turned 42, and I'm wearing a new shirt here also that my wife got me. She got me a new shirt. She said, wear something different on the show. You're always wearing black all the time. Uh, And I told her, I said, "I, I would rather be wearing a suit, but I dress down for the folks. We live in slob culture now, so I have to be part of that. Otherwise, when I start putting these videos out on YouTube and everything, no one will take me seriously. I look like a Jimmy Fallon hosting the uh, Tonight Show or something like that. I just can't can't do that anymore. Can't do that. You don't want to look professional these days, or you run the risk of looking like a stiff. People will think I'm giving a speech at the World Economic Forum or something. So anyway, she got me this shirt. She also got me a copy, a first edition copy of confessions of an economic hitman i've talked about that on the show that was the book she read 20 years ago that convinced her not to work for the world bank all about this guy who ended up getting tangled up with the intelligence agencies and he would go into these poor countries and help hijack them and hijack their resources i haven't read it why do i jim has a copy he didn't read it yet so let me see if i could beat him to the punch because that guy reads about one book a day I mean, he's been highlighting this book he's reading and sending me screenshots. I'm like, ah, here we go. Next week when he comes on the show, we're going to have to change it all up again, folks. Because Jim just constantly absorbs information. It's quite interesting, though, because what he just sent me ties right into Confessions of an Economic Hitman. He's uh, looking at this book, and it's talking all about how the industrialists use the guise of climate change, of which they invented. Um, You know, we've talked about this before, but essentially they are polluting the planet, right? They pollute the water. They pollute the soil. They pollute the skies. They pollute the air. They pollute the food. They pollute everything. And then they own all the industrial technological equipment, the manufacturing and everything else. They turn around, they say climate change is here, hurricanes and floods and cold snaps and heat waves and tornadoes and all this other stuff come from us. And it's increasing because of CO2 emission when, in fact, 
That is just a grift, number one. And number two, it's run as a scam to drive us into central bank digital currency carbon uh, carbon credit-based slave system. That's what's actually happening. Uh, On top of it, over the years, they've controlled all the major so-called environmentalist organizations. They're just controlled opposition. They are front men, and they use those groups to then claim that the poor people, the poor countries, the indigenous primitive folks, they are in fact climate polluters. And the only way that they could redeem themselves is to allow the industrialists uh, industrialists to come in and to bring technology into their countries. And in fact, what they do is they end up getting them trapped in a debt scam for instance, offering them up a power grid or some sort of a water purification infrastructure system that they can never pay for, and then they are able to hijack the country and steal all the resources. Go in there and get the lithium and the cobalt and such. I mean, this has been going on for years. So it's a two-fold situation. Uh, the author of Industrial Society and its Future talks a bit about that. Uh, Jim seeing it in his books, and this is the basis for what confessions of an economic hitman are so i'm going to read that we'll be able to tie all this together for you folks but that's what's going on that's what's going on the technocrats are going in and they're hijacking all this land all the resources at the same time in the industrialized societies they're blaming climate change on me and you for the purpose of driving us into a cbdc scam a cbdc based slave system that's that's what's actually happening ladies and gentlemen All right, so what I'm going to do is I want to jump right into industrial society and its future. I'm not even going to warm you folks up anymore because I'm going to make an attempt to try to finish this today if we can so we can move on to some other pressing matters. Uh, And I appreciate everyone who's been emailing me and such saying they appreciate the coverage of this. They figured out what the paper is. They said they haven't seen anyone really do any in-depth analysis of this, and they really appreciate us covering it over here. So let's pick up where we left off yesterday. That's paragraph 189. Remember, we're talking about, from the author's perspective, a revolution of humans trying to fight back against and tear down the technological state, or what he calls the industrial technological system, and that would be called technocracy. He also talks about the state or the system socializing people into the system. That would be what we would call social engineering. Um, So we have technocracy and social engineering. Obviously, they go hand in hand. We know the definition of technocracy is the science of social engineering and the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. So let's pick up here. Paragraph 189. The author says, prior to that final struggle, the revolutionaries should not expect to have a majority of people on their side. History is made by active, determined minorities, not by the majority, which seldom has a clear and consistent idea of what it really wants. Until the time comes for the final push toward revolution, the task of revolutionaries will be less to win the shallow support of the majority than to build a small core of deeply committed people. 
As for the majority, it will be enough to make them aware of the existence of the new ideology and remind them of it frequently. Though, of course, it will be desirable to get majority support to the extent that this can be done without weakening the core of seriously committed people. And, and I think if you put that into context today, remember, this is written in 1995, 28 years ago. What the author is advocating for is a revolution against the technological system. At this time, I don't know if the author realized how organized the industrial technological society was, technocracy. I don't know if he realized that it was a worldwide, one-world government, new world order type of system, a top-down system. But what he advocates for is not a bloody revolution against the system, but an ideological revolution against the system. And as he points out, we covered this yesterday in episode 137, the natural ideal, uh, sort of the counter ideal to technocracy, to technology in general, is wild nature. Right. So he says you don't need to come up with an idea for a utopian planned society that is a counter to the technological, technocratic planned society. You just need to push people toward this idea of wild nature being the counter to technology because technology will always engulf humanity and it will always take away freedom and it will always drive us towards complete and total enslavement whether there is an organized movement up above some tyrannical structure that wants to rain down this dystopian future upon us or not technology will always continue to grow toward removing human freedom and human autonomy and liberty that's what the author keeps saying throughout this paper and that the good elements the supposed good in quotes elements of technology cannot be separated from the so-called quote bad elements of technology they can't be separated because technology always moves toward the destruction of freedom and as I pointed out, the destruction of the natural world and humanity altogether. Technology will continue to advance until it completely swallows up humanity. That's why I talk about the engineering of humanity out of existence. Paragraph 190, any kind of social conflict helps to destabilize the system. But one should be careful about what kind of conflict one encourages. The line of conflict should be drawn between the mass of the people and the power-holding elite of industrial society. Politicians, scientists, upper-level business executives, government officials, etc., It should not be drawn between the revolutionaries and the mass of the people. Okay, and so as he pointed out in paragraph 189, we, the minority, don't need the majority on board. And this is evidence throughout history, right? Even if you believe sort of the the fictionalized fairy tale of the founding of the country, that you had 3% of the folks that really stood for the revolution. They were willing to risk their blood, their fortune, their families, their farms for the revolution, The vast majority in the middle were going to just go along with whoever won, whether it was the revolutionaries or whether it was the crown, 
right? And it's the same thing here. He's saying the vast majority will just go along, so you don't have to convince everyone to wake up to what is going on. And now he's saying, don't pick a battle between you and let's say your neighbor who isn't on board with this idea, the conflict should be drawn between the mass of the people and the power-holding elite of industrial society. He mentions politicians, scientists, upper-level business executives, government officials. I say you point the finger at the technocrats, the investors, the United Nations, the Bank for International Settlements, uh, all these big major organizations that we know uh, have power. Now, unfortunately, and I don't know if the author would have taken this into consideration. I don't think so. I don't think even he would recognize that 28 years after he wrote this, that's unfortunately the mass of the people actually work for the system at this point, whether they work for the government or they're government contractors or they work for companies that are floated by government money or they are programmers and software developers and scientists and engineers and doctors and lawyers everyone now has been absorbed underneath this system so to try to convince your neighbor to free himself of the very system that he is in one way or another helping build it's very difficult to get people to want to leave a system when there are short-term gains for them to stay within the system. Unfortunately, I don't think many people think beyond three, four, five, even a generation, right? Three, four, five years, even a whole generation. I don't think they're thinking that way anymore. Most people are just thinking about their next paycheck or their next bonus. And, and that is the way the system rigged it. It goes on to say, instead... Uh, the average American should be portrayed as a victim of the advertising and marketing industry, which has suckered him into buying a lot of junk that he doesn't need, and that is very poor compensation for his lost freedom. Either approach is consistent with the facts. It is merely a matter of attitude whether you blame the advertising industry for manipulating the public or blame the public for allowing itself to be manipulated. As a matter of strategy, one should generally avoid blaming the public, right? So if you sit down at a table with your friend and you are trying to convince them that the system is as bad as it actually is, the last thing you want to do is blame that person. So you don't want to blame them to their face for going out and getting vaccinated. As Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, would call these people our anchors. They drive us down. But you're never going to convince them in any way whatsoever to join you in this pushback against the system to remove, let's just say, start simple, just getting them to leave the house without the iPhone, take the smart objects out of their homes. You're never going to convince them if you say to them, look, you stupid idiot, it's all your fault. But if you can frame this, they say, or the author says, the advertising and marketing industry, I would say the media, the bankers, you can add all those into it now, have played a trick on all of us. It's difficult enough to get people to admit that they were flim-flammed, let alone if you point the finger and you say, listen, you stupid anchor, this is your fault for dragging all of us down. The author is saying that you should turn them against the system itself, 
point the finger at the big industries, the bankers, the government that flim flam them, especially those that you know, I would say, this is my opinion, who went and got vaccinated kind of against their will because they were going to lose their job. And now you see all this vaccine stuff coming out. Maybe you start to talk to those people and you say, listen, I feel bad for you. You were flim flammed, but you want to know what's coming? What happened to you is just the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Let me explain to you what these monsters have in store for all of humanity. It's time for humanity to unite, ladies and gentlemen. Start preaching. Start waking people up to the system that is coming at us at warp speed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. And I'll be here operating at warp speed for you. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies, I was going to tell a quick story, but I, I want to move forward with this, folks. Uh, and let's just point this out because the author said here, I just, I'll give you an example of this though. The author says here, um, it should not be drawn between the revolutionaries and the mass of the people. He's talking about the, basically the ridicule, ridicule. He says, for example, it, it would be a bad strategy for the revolutionaries to condemn Americans for their habits of consumption. And that's really important. Let's just talk about that for a second. Wide Awake Jim actually mentioned, I think he did on the show, at least he did in a conversation with me. And he said, if, if folks, if you're people that identify in the left, like some of the people in his family, if they really want to fight pollution, right, if you can convince them that the man-made climate change thing is not real, but pollution is in fact real, we're not arguing that, and they want to fight pollution, they could lower their consumption, And I've said to a lot of folks, my friends, um, 
during COVID land, the high school theater production, if they were thinking of moving toward homeschooling and, and things of that nature, or my wife and I moved towards the home birth to exit the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex, we had to pay out of pocket. I've talked about that on the show. We had to put up like $6,500. And people say, oh, how did you afford that? Meanwhile, they've got, you know, three car payments, six flat screen TVs, you know, all types of stuff they don't really need. You know, a seven-bedroom McMansion in the suburbs when they've got two children. You know, one of the things I think you can start to talk to people about is maybe, uh, look, and I'm not saying people need to go live in mud huts or you got to move out in the woods and live inside of a, a burlap sack or something like that, but one of the ways you can start to exit the rat race and have more time to spend with your kids, to homeschool your kids, to take your kids out on hiking and camping excursions, uh, to take trips and introduce them to different people from different uh, careers and such, is start to lower your expenses. You know, get rid of, maybe get rid of the new cars and buy a couple of old cars. You know, get rid of some of the TVs, maybe shrink down the size of your house. These are things you can do that start to allow you to free yourself from the system. You know, if your monthly overhead between your mortgage on some giant McMansion, three car payments, you know, all this other unnecessary stuff is $10,000 a month, you got to go out there and work your ass off just to make $10,000 a month just to cover your overhead to keep up this, this materialistic, consumeristic lifestyle. And then if you're working that hard, if you're putting in 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to have all that stuff and you're not spending time with your kids, uh, maybe if you can cut that 80 hours a week back to 40 because you cut back your expenses, you cut those in half, now you have an extra 40 hours a week to homeschool your kid. This stuff that is a lot more important than having three car payments. Again, don't criticize people for this. I'm not. You know, I, I know plenty of people over the years that fell into the habit of this, living inside of this debt-based society, this consumeristic, materialistic, soulless society. Cut back on some of those things. Maybe save up some of that money if you want to keep working, if you're someone who likes to work. Cut back on the expenses, set aside the money, buy that piece of land. You know, you don't have to necessarily even develop it right away. That's what we're looking at doing, um, trying to get 10 acres and maybe we'll sit on it, save up a little more, then build on it. We're going through some different ideas. So, you know, start to have talks with people that want to free the system. Maybe they're thinking about homeschooling their kid, but they say, I can't, you know, both uh, myself and my wife work, you know, 80 hours a week. Well, I don't know, maybe cut back on some of the expenses. Maybe you don't need some of that stuff that you have, and then you could balance out your priorities. Let's continue. Paragraph 191. One should think twice before encouraging any other social conflict than that between the power-holding elite, which wields technology, and the general public, over which technology exerts its power, right? So the elite control the technology. They wield that technological power. And then the general public, the technology exerts its power over them. They don't realize that. So that's part of what you can start to teach people. For one thing, other conflicts tend to distract attention from the important conflicts between power elite and ordinary people, between technology and nature. 
For another thing, other conflicts may actually tend to encourage technicalization because each side in such a conflict wants to use technological power to gain advantages over its adversary. Very, very interesting there. Okay, that's why I don't comment much on Twitter because I will see folks and I call these controlled opposition or misinformation or disinformation agents. And what happens is you will see someone speaking out or appearing to speak out against technocracy or transhumanism or technology, but then their solution is to drive you further into technology. So be careful getting in all these different fights. This is why I don't chase a lot of fires either, because I don't like to distract myself from the big message here, which we built all the way up to through 140 episodes. It took to try to get here to explain this to you folks, that the big issue here is technology and the technological system as a whole. I think if you've been listening since episode one, you're able to stomach this. I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but as I've said before, this is the gold pill. You know, it is the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth about this system. And this is the reality, folks. It goes on to say this is clearly seen in rivalries between nations. It also appears in ethnic conflicts within nations. For example, in America, many black leaders are anxious to gain power for African Americans by placing black individuals in the technological power elite. They want there to be many black government officials, scientists, corporation executives, and so forth. In this way, they are helping to absorb the African-American subculture into the technological system. Generally speaking, one should encourage only those social conflicts that can be fitted into the framework of the conflicts of power elite versus ordinary people, technology versus nature. So try to think about this. And listen, I'm going to make this clear. If you're listening to my show, if you're out there even listening to, uh, you know, there's there's folks that that I like, ones that I trust, don't trust and such. I'm not going to name every single person. But if you're listening to like Whitney Webb or uh, Last American Vagabond or Johnny Vedmore or Catherine Austin Fitz or John Titus or any of these type of shows, you know, Mike Moore with the Thomas Paine podcast, you're listening to Maria Albanese on Fridays over there. You know, you're listening to all these kind of shows that are talking out against the establishment system. First off, I don't think you're going to find many people like me uh, who are going to advocate against the entire technological system. I don't go balls to the wall with this stuff. I don't come on here as some kind of a radical. I have uh, honestly really well, uh, I I thought out really well how I was going to approach this because I didn't want to come out of the gates and tell you all that I would be for living in the woods against uh, away from the system. Nor am I saying that all of you have to do that. I think there could possibly be a balance between living one foot in and one foot out of the matrix. That's why I framed my show around that from the very beginning. I think the further you pull yourself out of the matrix, the more and more you're going to see that you're happier outside of the matrix and i think that will grow but if you're someone listening to me or these other shows 
and you're talking to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your associates, your acquaintances, uh, your church fellowship, whatever, about the overall dangers of the technological system. I think take it a step further than just facial recognition or the smartphone and start to talk about it in a broader sense, about the whole entire system and the people that run the system and the goals of the system and the enslavement of humanity and the engineering of humanity out of existence. Then you, in fact, are a revolutionary. You're involved with this ideological information war against the technological system. You're taking part in that. So don't look at this stuff we're reading as if you have to go out and build an army and you have to wear a Che Guevara t-shirts and run around as a revolutionary. No, you are the revolutionary because you're out there speaking against the very system. You're trying to wake people up to the dangers of the system. You're trying to explain to folks the problems that they're seeing today, why those problems actually exist. Because technology, the technological system, the technocracy, is the actual enemy. We've been chasing around looking at Marx, if you came from the right, we've been looking at Marxism, socialism, communism. The folks on the left have been looking at fascism and the Nazis and all this stuff. We have been doing all this, looking at all these different political ideologies, and we haven't been focused on the actual wizard behind the curtain, which is technology itself. And if people start to see this and understand that technology is going to eat humanity, the natural world, and freedom alive, it's just eating it, it's destroying it like a cancer, then maybe people will start to go, wait a second. Wait a second. I understand what you're talking about. You know, why do folks escape on the weekends and go out for a hike? Or they go out camping in the woods? They do it to escape the matrix, to step outside of that system. Something in them, either either consciously or unconsciously, because it's wired in their DNA. They want to pull out of the system. So start to uh, use that knowledge Right, Figure out what it is in people that makes them want to pull back out of the technological system and try to wake up your friends and family using that. Get them out on a hike with you. Get them out on a camping excursion with you. Bring them out in nature. And they will start to see how happy they are when they're disconnected from a cell signal and they're not walking around with the iPhone in their pocket, scrolling their stupid Facebook feed, looking at what a bunch of people they don't even know in real life are doing. We don't even know if half those things are bots. They could not even be real. And if they are real, who the hell cares what some person you never met is doing in their life? Go out and do those things in your life. Paragraph 192. But the way to discourage ethnic conflict is not through militant advocacy of minority rights. See paragraphs 21 and 29. Instead, the revolutionaries should emphasize that although minorities do suffer more or less disadvantage, this disadvantage is of peripheral significance. 
Our real enemy is the industrial technological system and the struggle against the system. Ethnic distractions are of no importance. There you go. That's what I was just saying. I shouldn't even have said it. I should have waited to read that. It says our real enemy is the industrial technological system. That is technocracy. That is technology in of itself. It says the struggle against the system, ethnic distractions are of no importance. This is why I've tried to point out to folks here on this show, I try to point out to people in my life, ones that sit around and watch Fox News, don't worry about the drag queen story hour. Don't worry about the whole transgender, gender bender movement. Don't worry about LBGTQ 5794 Don't worry about any of this stuff. Those are just products of the technological system that we live inside. Either they are psychological warfare operations, their controlled opposition, their misdirection, uh, or uh, misdirection agents, you know, disinfo agents. That's what the stuff is. They're products of the system, or they are just organic growing surrogate activities because humans have been so beaten down inside of the technological system. I don't cover a lot of it on the show. Some of it I find to be amusing, uh, fascinating. I'll bring in articles that you send me here and there, but I try not to get involved with that stuff so much because one i'm not going to go chase a fire and try to put out the drag queen story hour number two i know it serves a larger purpose inside the decaying and destruction of the system i also know that it plays a big part in the wwe wrestling to keep you and i distracted and focused on the drag queen story hour we're not going to stop it and even if we did the technological system is growing and expanding while we're spending time chasing around the drag queen queen story hour all right so try to just zero in on this idea and preach the dangers of the technological system if you can get people to disconnect 10 20 30 percent of the time that is a major slap in the face to the system it is less data that the system is collecting, which they need in order to enslave us. So start to think about that, folks, over this short break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.
You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. And folks, let me give you a real-world present-day example of this, right? This idea that the technological system, you know, is destroying us and our freedom, and then what happens is a technological solution supposedly comes out of the woodwork whether that be strategic or whether that be organic and ends up enslaving us further this whole idea of cryptocurrency right so a lot of my friends and i don't think these were like paid uh you know paid controlled opposition types my friends of yesteryear libertarians a lot of them were conservatives that moved libertarian they were against the federal reserve they were against fiat currency and the next thing you know they're sitting there promoting bitcoin and cryptocurrency when it came down as the solution to freedom and to freeing ourselves financially from the big banks from the central banksters and from the government but what they did is they drew, drew uh, they got driven further into this idea that technology was going to free us uh, from technology. Why? Because they didn't understand that we were running from the technological system. The enslavement that we were experiencing under the fiat currency system was a product of the technological system. So then the next step was that we were going to free ourselves from the technological system with more technology. And as we see cryptocurrency, whether it was done strategically, whether that was actually created by the banksters, or whether it was organic and now hijacked by the gangsters, leads us to what? Central bank digital currency, right? Cryptocurrency, that's all it is, digital currency. It leads us further into a slave system. So the answer to fighting technology is not more technology. When we see the mass censorship over the last five, six, seven years of independent broadcasters like myself, all of a sudden, people are getting censored on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook. And what's the natural reaction of folks? Well, we need to build a new version of YouTube, a new version of Twitter, a new version of Facebook, when in fact, they should be calling for the tearing down and destruction of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm telling you, it, it's a hard pill to swallow. But the only solution is to go backward, not to go forwards. More technology is going to lead to more frustration because technology is always going to destroy freedom. And if it is freedom and human autonomy that you're after, you're not going to find it in technology. There is not some technological utopia in which we can uh, enact or interact with technology and still have freedom. It's just not going to happen. I mean, try to come up with some sort of example, a real-world example of where technology has not harmed humanity and took away freedom, where it has actually given us more freedom. I just don't think you're going to find it. And if anyone has any, I would love to talk to you about it on this show. Uh, paragraph 193. 
the kind of revolution we have in mind will not necessarily involve an armed uprising against any government. It may or may not involve physical violence, but it will not be a political revolution. Its focus will be on technology and economics, not politics. Okay, and this is part of what uh, Wide Awake Jim has been talking about here. I've talked about it from the beginning. I am not political anymore. I am uh, post-politics. The only politics that you need to focus on is the politics of your neighborhood. You know, who to talk to, who to try to wake up, that kind of thing. That's politics. But not politics on a national or international level. Not politics when it comes to parties or, you know, defined political ideologies. The war is against technology, and it's talking about... <coughs> Uh, The war is against technology and talking about economics related to technology, but it's not politics, folks. This is why Wide Awake Jim has been saying, start to try to figure out how to have conversations with people without bringing up politicians or without bringing up political issues. This whole technology thing is not a political issue. It's still sitting in the background, and most people have no idea that that is an apolitical system, and that's what's actually controlling everything. It goes on to say, paragraph 194, probably the revolutionaries should even avoid assuming political power, whether by legal or illegal means, until the industrial system is stressed to the danger point and has proved itself to be a failure in the eyes of most people. Suppose, for example, that some, quote, green, end quote, party should win control of the United States Congress in an election. In order to avoid betraying or watering down their own ideology, they would have to take vigorous measures to turn economic growth into economic shrinkage. To the average man, the results would appear disastrous. There would be massive unemployment, shortages of commodities, etc. Even if the grosser ill effects could be avoided through superhumanly skillful management, still people would have to begin giving up the luxuries to which they have become addicted. Dissatisfaction would grow, the Green Party would be voted out, of office and the revolutionaries would have suffered a severe setback for this reason the revolutionaries should not try to acquire political power until the system has gotten itself into such a mess that any hardships will be seen as resulting from the failures of the industrial system itself and not from the policies of the revolutionaries the revolution against technology will probably have to be revolution by outsiders a revolution from below and not from above and and i agree with this this is why i don't focus on politicians anyone who is running for office in my mind is seeking power to begin with okay they are someone who is seeking power and therefore they are willing to sell their soul almost immediately whether it's before they even get into office whether it's before they actually launch their campaign Listen, if you're involved with local politics, state politics, 
uh, you know, national politics. I mean, you know this to be true. Uh, these guys are bought and paid for. They make promises before they even get in. So I don't focus on politicians. Uh, and I assume anyone who is in any uh, position of power who is allowed to be on national television as a politician has already sold their soul. Then if they're not out there actually talking about these issues that we're talking about here, if they're not out there saying, listen, everyone talks about progress, everyone talks about growth, I want to shrink the GDP, I want to shrink the size of the country, I want to shrink manufacturing, I want to shrink consumption, I want to shrink this materialistic society, uh, unless someone's talking about that, then they aren't honest about this. And as the author points out, if I went out there and even ran on that, I would not get elected, because the majority of people are already brainwashed washed into the system in which we live where they think we need growth every year needs to be growth we need a bigger tax base if you speak outside of that system you just look like a nutcase uh i mean look i don't know if ron paul is controlled or not but i remember when ron paul ran for office maybe this was back in 2008 he was like a crazy old guy on the stage because he was trying to point out the dangers of the federal reserve system he was talking about fort knox and the gold uh, for the most part no one and he he ran as a republican i don't know what he got two percent of the vote people just looked at him as crazy so to stand there and try to talk about this on a political stage when you're running for office within the system all the people participating in the voting are already bought into the system if you want to understand more about this listen to legal man and his show the quash the quash q u a s h he gets into this just vote harder folks just vote harder and we will dig ourselves out of this so i don't think politics at this point is actually the way to go i think it's preaching to folks that are confused that are looking for answers people that are losing their jobs you know i said the wide awake gym because we started looking yesterday at some of the jobs that are being replaced by ai like his friend's son who was replaced the commentator and writer for comcast sports was replaced by ai now when you're reading sports articles do you know it's generated by ai the vast majority of people don't i see now there's a lot of actors and voice actors from the world i used to work in that are starting to get concerned about this. These people, some of which have large followings, fairly large organic followings on social media, should be putting out 60-second videos. My name is Dustin, and I was replaced by artificial intelligence. You are next. Now, if you know people that are being replaced by AI, you know people being replaced by robots, you know people who are losing their jobs in restaurants, anywhere from the very bottom levels up to the top, try to convince these folks to join the movement. Have them make a video like that. 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, whatever. Get them to come on my show and talk about it. You send me the videos, I don't have a huge reach yet, but I will get them out there. I will publish them. They need to publish them too. Let's start talking about what the force industrial revolution, what the technological system, what technocracy is doing to real people. This is the revolution. It is right here. 
It is in our hands. See, they are in this bridge period, I told you, between the third industrial and the fourth industrial eras. And they are weak. They are trying to move us from one operating system to a new operating system. And while this is happening, people are losing their jobs, being forced out of work, people are suffering, mental illness is going up. All this is happening because the technological system is growing. The fourth industrial revolution is in full swing. We can revolt against the system. This is what the author is talking about right now. The system is weak. There are cracks in this system. People are going to lose their jobs to AI, and they're going to try to force them into a universal basic income situation. You know gig workers who are suffering, they were making $300 a day, they're making $100 a day, or like Jim's daughter that he talked about, all of a sudden a DoorDash, they're capping her at $10 an hour. These people need to make videos. They need to start to speak out. It is time to revolt against the system. You want to have the collective revolt? Start talking people into telling their stories. If there are people out there whose kid ended up, you know, having mental problems and stuff because of COVID land, the high school theater production, these people need to make videos. If you know people who got jabbed up and now they're sick, now they have cancer, uh, you can't prove it's the jab, but so what? Start making videos and telling your story. Videos are the most effective because you could put a face to the words. Tweets are one thing, but videos are real. Start videoing it. If they don't want to set up a social media account or they don't have one, ask them to send you the video. You put it out. Tag me in it on Twitter. This is the revolution, folks. The system is weak, but it will be even more powerful once they get that 2030 mark. If they get central bank digital currency into place, it is game over for the vast majority of folks, the ones who haven't prepared to get out of the system. This is the revolution, folks. It is time to revolt. Use your voice, use your stories, use your words, and eventually that will wake up other people. So if you're out there talking to folks about this show and other shows and ideas you've heard, start to say, listen, buddy, tell your story. Let's shoot a video right now. Talk about how you were replaced by AI. Talk about how the sports articles are now written by artificial intelligence. This is the revolution. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.
listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. And ladies and gentlemen, also part of the revolution, he doesn't know it, maybe he does, Wide Awake Jim, he's a revolutionary, folks. Wide Awake Jim, he's been researching all this stuff because of his job, because of the investments he makes for himself and on behalf of some of his clients. And that's how he discovered all this. What did he do? He reached out to Mike Moore, he went on a Hotwire show. Then Maria Albanese introduced him to me. He came on my show, what, nine times now? And he's telling the story. So if you have information that you've come across because of a specific industry you're in, tell the story. Get on shows like mine. Get on shows like Mike Morris. Put out your own videos. Tell the story. Point the finger at the technological system, folks. This is how we start to fight back it's an ideological war people need to understand that their pain and suffering comes from the continued growth of the technological system paragraph 195 the revolution must be international and worldwide it cannot be carried out on a nation-by-nation basis whenever it is suggested that the united states for example should cut back on technological progress or economic growth people get hysterical and start screaming that if we fall behind in technology the japanese will get ahead of us holy robots the world will fly off its orbit if the japanese ever sell more cars than we do nationalism is a great promoter of technology you know this to be true look at the ai race over the last 10 years if we don't do it then china's gonna beat us they send elon musk and peter thiel and bill gates and the rest of them out there to scream this if we don't get ahead with drone technology if we don't get a whole ahead with satellites to shoot laser beams into people's eyes then the other countries are going to do it so we have to continue to grow we have to launch space force we have to have our borders uh, all lined with technology that is how they continue to advance the technological system the nation states at this point in our history folks are just part of the wwe wrestling i've showed you before they are not enemies amazon web services is housing all of the intelligence community data around the world so they aren't enemies otherwise our country if we were truly enemies with china we would not be housing our data with amazon while amazon is housing china data that just would not happen it would not happen folks so they play the countries against each other in order to continue to advance technocracy look at central bank digital currency right now What are they doing? Oh, there's 100 countries, 105 countries. We have to get ahead of them. We can't fall behind them. That's what you see happening in all the panel discussions we reviewed here. It's always about if China's going to do it, we have to do it. If the United States is doing it, we have to get ahead. It's a race. It's like the space race nonsense. All right, let's continue. More reasonably... It is argued that if the relatively democratic nations of the world fall behind in technology, 
while nasty dictatorial nations, here we go, like China, Vietnam, and North Korea continue to progress, eventually the dictators may come to dominate the world. See? See this? Well, they can't dominate the world with technology if we aren't wired up with the internet, ladies and gentlemen. It goes on to say that is why the industrial system should be attacked in all nations simultaneously to the extent that this may be possible. True, there is no assurance that the industrial system can be destroyed at approximately the same time all around the world, and it is even conceivable that the attempt to overthrow the system could lead instead to the domination of the system by dictators. That is a risk that has to be taken. And it is worth taking since the difference between a democratic industrial system and one controlled by dictators is small compared with the difference between an industrial system and a non-industrial one. It might even be argued that an industrial system controlled by dictators would be preferable because dictator-controlled systems usually have proved inefficient, hence they are presumably more likely to break down. Look at Cuba. Now, I'd make another point, too. If you had a dictatorial technocracy, we've talked about this on the show, actually, a technocracy with a techno-king in charge of it, the techno-king now becomes the target. They are the ones who control the technocratic prison planet system, so there's someone you can actually attack. In its current form, this quasi-technocracy, we have the illusion here in the United States of a representative government, the same in England and other places around Europe. They have the illusion of a parliamentary system we have the illusion of our constitutional republic right so it makes it very hard to attack because the system isn't necessarily concentrated under the hands of one person where if you put a king in charge of it or a dictator in charge of it then you could attack that king there's someone to attack But ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're seeing what's going on here and you're understanding this. The ideological war that needs to be waged, as hard as it is, because I know people don't want to separate themselves from technology, and you don't have to, all right? You're not going to be without electricity tomorrow. The revolution isn't going to win tomorrow. But what you have to be able to do is to frame the problems we are facing, everything we're seeing is caused by the advancement and the growth of the technological system. All right, so this is what you have to start preaching to people. Stop getting in the habit of trying to fight Republican-Democrat politics, blame stuff on Nancy Pelosi, blame other stuff on Mitch McConnell. No, you have to start saying, hey, listen, this is the technological system. Try to boil down all these issues that friends want to discuss and talk about and argue about back to the technological system. I have a friend of mine. He's in sales. All right. And so he is really concerned that he's going to lose his job because he believes that salesmen are going to be replaced by the AR, VR headsets and such. And so he thinks the days of him getting on a plane and flying out to meet with a buyer, uh, he works in the grocery store industry, are, are numbered. That eventually they're just going to mail an AR headset off to the buyer. The buyer's going to have one. They're going to put it on. They're going to talk to basically an AI sales guy in the metaverse. So his solution is he's trying to 
get ahead and build a company where he can be the sales guy that meets with people inside of the metaverse. So he's further adopting the technology that's eventually going to remove someone like him from the equation versus trying to fight back and make the case that nothing can work like a human going out and meeting with another human to sell them goods to sell in their grocery store. He should be making the case that we need to go backwards, not the case that he wants to be the guy to take it forwards. So see, we're driving ourselves further into extinction you have to be able to make this case to people that technology is not the solution to fight technology and that technology is the very root cause of the problems that we are seeing today paragraph 196 revolutionaries might consider favoring measures that tend to blind the world economy into a unified whole Free trade agreements like NAFTA and GATT are probably harmful to the environment in the short run, but in the long run, they may perhaps be advantageous because they foster economic independence between nations, uh, sorry, interdependence between nations. It will be easier to destroy the industrial system on a worldwide basis if the world economy is so unified that its breakdown in any one major nation will lead to its breakdown in all industrialized nations. Now, we are already at that point, folks. We are at that point. 28 years after this paper was written, we live in a global economy. I mean, even the central bankers talk about the monetary system as this global monetary system. As you know, uh, as evidenced by the illusion of the breakdown of the supply chains under COVID land, the high school theater production, if China stops producing something, all of a sudden the United States has a shortage. This is all interconnected at this point. We are living under a global government. So what the author is trying to say is that if the governments become interconnected and the new world order is here, it will be easier to fight back and break down the technological system as a whole because we're already living under a one world governmental infrastructure already. And that is the case. That is the case. We have the illusion of the nation states, but we are living under this global system. So it'd be much easier to break down the system because one technology going down in one country ends up going down in all these countries. Look at all the technology we provide to the world out of Silicon Valley. Uh, look at the technologies, uh, as Maria Albanese was just talking about on the Thomas Paine podcast last night, the Thursday episode that comes out on Friday, but they record on Thursday, talking about Unit 8200 out of Israel, all the stuff they're responsible for. So if one system breaks down, it can actually hurt all the different supposed nation states, so the system will start to collapse. And listen, don't think I'm crazy over here, that I'm... Uh, I'm, you know, all I'm saying is this revolution is ideological and you have to start to frame it that way. You have to start to frame this fight on freedom and human autonomy, humanity itself, uh, pitted up against technology. I, I know that people are going to push back, but if you can't start to preach this, there is no way you can win a war. You have to change the ideological uh, structure of this country, of the world. You have to change the culture in order to be able to change the system. Again, just convincing people to wean off technology 20, 30, 40%, they are going to naturally be happier 
if they start to separate themselves from the iPhone. And once that occurs, you already push them one step backwards away from technology. And those people start to go, you know what? Instead of sitting on my couch, picking my nose on Saturdays and scrolling endlessly through my Facebook feed, I'm going to get out and build a garden in my yard. I'm going to get out and go take a hike in the woods. I'm going to go out and do something in nature. All of a sudden, they start to say, wow, this nature thing is quite interesting. I do like gardening instead of running around to the grocery store on Saturdays. I mean, this is how the culture changes. This isn't something that occurs overnight. This is something that's going to take 10, 20, 30 years. The same way it took the technologies this long to get us to the point where we are, because it's the slow boil. You need to do the slow boil in reverse if you want to wean people off of the technology. It's never going to happen overnight. This is a revolution that will take generations to move people back into being one with nature, folks. But you are a revolutionary if you are thinking this way. Don't consider yourself some crazy with a tinfoil hat and a musket. No, you're trying to actually free people from the technological prison. You're actually an abolitionist. Think about it that way, folks. Leading people away from technology on the Underground Railroad. That's actually what you're doing. So try to make conscious decisions, work on your arguments, start to test it out with your kids, your grandkids, and figure out how you help free people. Go be a technological abolitionist. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. gentlemen welcome back my name is dustin gold you are listening to the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold all right folks and one other thing i just want to bring up on the topic of defeating the system uh waging a revolution against the system and that it's easier when the system 
is actually operating as a one-world-style government. See, what happens is it'd be very difficult to attack the system if the people in the United States were experiencing different issues, let's say, than people over in Poland or somewhere else. Uh, Because we'd be so far apart, even though we connect over the Internet, that we'd be talking about different problems and it would be an issue to try to wake up folks in those places. But if you've noticed over the last 10, 15, 20, 25 years, people in different countries are experiencing the same problems just with different actors in control, right? So as we had the supposed rise of Trump and U.S. nationalism, you had the folks in England experiencing the rise of Brexit, and they had Theresa May and Boris Johnson and stuff. Different players in different countries, different actors, but almost the same script. And that's because the technocrats are using the same script. When I was over in Poland in July, I'd pointed out to you folks, that it was like the USA 1980. But they are trying to quickly catch Poland up to USA now. Uh, not catching up, well, yes, it's catching up as a, as a first world nation, which basically means you're under the control of technocracy. So those folks will be starting to experience the same folks, we ha- uh, the same problems that we have here. For instance, credit card debt and all that other stuff didn't really exist in Poland. Nobody really used credit cards. Now they're starting to. So you're going to have people trapped in debt slavery. So now when you're able to talk to folks over in Poland, you can start to talk about the same issues that we're facing here. Same thing with demographic warfare. They flood first world countries with immigrants, both legal and illegal, for the purpose of destabilizing the workforce, driving wages down, etc., etc. Well, Poland is experiencing that with the supposed Ukrainian refugees right now. So we experience it with uh, people from south of the border. That's what we experienced since the 80s. You know, folks in England experience it with Pakistanis. So now you can start to talk about open border issues with folks in other countries. See, the technocrats are using the same game plan everywhere to try to catch everyone up to the same level of technocracy as they usher in the larger system, central bank, digital currency, um, facial recognition, some of the other issues. And so we're all going to face that at the same time, which makes the ability to revolt a little bit easier to revolt in other countries and to share ideas with people in other countries. So it works to our advantage, even though it has worked to our disadvantage because we got to where we are. It's pretty damn bad. But if you want to start to act as a revolutionary, if you want to start to act as an abolitionist and try to free people from the stranglehold of technology, you could start to talk to them about issues you're experiencing here and then compare those to issues that they're experiencing over there. And if they're similar, you can say to someone, how does a country like ours, it's 250 years old, and a country like yours, I don't say it's England, 1,000 years old, how are we experiencing basically the same issues at the same exact time? That is because we're all under the same technocratic control system. That's what we need to be fighting, not political parties. Political parties are owned by the technocracy.
Paragraph 197, some people take the line that modern man has too much power, too much control over nature. They argue for a more passive attitude on the part of the human race. At best, these people are expressing themselves unclearly because they fail to distinguish between power for large organizations and power for individuals and small groups. All right, this was very important back in 1995, 28 years ago, when this paper was written, folks. Let me continue. It is a mistake to argue for powerlessness and passivity because people need power. Modern man as a collective entity, that is the industrial system, has immense power over nature. And we, he's talking about his organization FC, regard this as evil. But modern individuals and small groups of individuals have far less power than primitive man ever did. Generally speaking, the vast power of modern man over nature is exercised not by individuals or small groups, but by large corporations or large organizations, he says. To the extent that the average modern individual can wield the power of technology, he is permitted to do so only within narrow limits and only under the supervision and control of the system. For instance, you need a license for everything, and with the license comes rules and regulations. The individual has only those technological powers with which the system chooses to provide him. His personal power over nature is slight. All right, and that makes total sense, right? So all the technology we generally have in our life whether it be a car, whether it be various systems within your home, whether it be your devices, your computer, your laptop, your tablet, your phone, etc., etc., those devices are given to you, but they all connect up to the internet, right? They connect up to the metaverse. We'll just call that now up to that system. They're useless essentially without being connected to that system or being plugged into the wall for electrical power. Uh, therefore, the system regulates what you can and can't do on those devices anyway. So for the most part, the system controls the technology that the system allows you to have. They're not giving you access to technology that you cannot, uh, that you can just go out there and do whatever you want with. All right, it's all regulated because it's controlled by the system. Even if you look at guns, you know, as a form of technology, you are regulated by laws. Now, you could go out and use those outside of the laws, but then you risk getting yourself into trouble or having your guns taken away from you. As we see being talked about today, obviously, uh, it was a big deal a couple of years ago with the red flag laws and everything else. I don't really pay attention to that news anymore, so I don't know what's happening in that arena. Paragraph 198, primitive individuals and small groups actually had considerable power over nature, or maybe it would be better to say power within nature. When primitive man needed food, he knew how to find and prepare edible roots, how to track game and take it with homemade weapons. He knew how to protect himself from heat, cold, rain, dangerous animals, etc. But primitive man did relatively little damage to nature because the collective power of primitive society was negligible compared to the collective and power of industrial society. And this is where I would say man 
living in harmony with nature. I mean, man is part of nature. Uh, if you look at the system, whether you believe it was created by God, uh, by Mother Nature, by some creator, I don't know, or the big boom, it all worked so perfectly. Now, some would argue, and this was actually a controlled opposition narrative, that man destroyed the planet. It's not man in general, as he's talking about individuals in small groups. It was the elitist, power-hungry folks that are trying to play God, which now we know were the industrialists, uh, the technocrats, now the transhumanists. They're trying to take control of nature, the natural world, and humanity, and harness it as their own, and shape it into whatever their vision is, which is really just controlling it under a digital slave system so man can live in harmony with nature it's when you bring the technocrats into the mix that both nature and man end up being destroyed paragraph 199 instead of arguing for powerlessness and passivity one should argue that the power of the industrial system should be broken and that this will greatly increase the power and freedom of individuals and small groups. And I'll just say here, I brought it up several times. When the author is saying industrial system, or he's saying industrial technological system, he's talking about technocracy as a whole, the entire technological structure which is very big right now. And I think most people don't know what technocracy is. Uh, and, and you do. I mean, the, the definition from the technocracy movement itself is the science of social engineering and the systematic control of the means of production and distribution of goods and services. So you can say that technocracy is the science of socially engineering humans into a technological system that controls the means of all production and the distribution of all goods and services. Now, in the original definition, the original technological movement, you would say that it was being led by the scientists, engineers, and the technologists, or the machinists back then. That's what they would say. But if you really look at it, in the system we're in now, it's being run uh, by a whole slate of bureaucrats. So you have mathematicians, you have engineers, scientists, technologists, you have programmers, software programmers, bankers. I, I mean, just a whole array of folks are involved with propping up the technocratic system. It's taken a life of its own. So we have to figure out when we're talking to people how we frame it. I wouldn't go out and call it the industrial system. Uh, it's very difficult for me to even attack industrialism and um, industrialists because people have this fictional view of, say, Henry Ford and the Rockefellers and Rothschilds, all the original guys, that they were great. They helped build the first world nations. And so if you attack them, it's like attacking the founding fathers. And if you go out and talk to people today about the industrial system, I think most people won't even know what you're speaking of. I, I think it's almost better to frame it in modern terms, especially if you're talking to younger folks as big tech or Silicon Valley, we'll have to work that out, folks. I need to do that on a show with someone like Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, where we can sit here and work on framing these arguments. I think that would be a very valuable show uh, to allow you guys to walk away with some bumper sticker slogans and figuring out how to win this narrative fight. 
Um, and this is why I'm going to start doing live shows with call-ins because I want to get you guys to call in with your feedback when you're working out some of this and testing some of this on your kids and grandkids and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Uh, paragraph 200, until the industrial system has been thoroughly wrecked, the destruction of that system must be the revolutionary's only goal. Other goals would distract attention and energy from the main goal. More importantly, if the revolutionaries permit themselves to have any other goal than the destruction of technology, they will be tempted to use technology as a tool for reaching that other goal. Uh, and, and look at us. We are in a position now, 28 years after this paper was written, that I'm using technology a lot of different technologies to do this show to try to reach you and talk about tearing down the technocratic system. Now, again, I haven't even stepped both feet into this. I'm not advocating for the entire system to be tor torn down, although I believe to get as close to true freedom, the whole system would have to be torn down. But I also know as soon as that happens, it will begin to grow. This is why we'll talk about cyclist civilizations uh, shortly. Um, so I believe if you could take away 20%, 30%, 50%, 60%, you're getting closer to freedom. The cycle will pick back up with technology continuing to grow. There's never going to be a utopia situation for the people that want wild nature. Uh, or, obviously, there's no utopia in full-blown technocracy. That's just hell and destruction and slavery. But if you can at least begin the process of explaining to people that the technological system is the, the problem, it's the problem... Um, and it's the root cause of all the problems experienced by people on the left and people on the right. It is the root cause. Goes on to say, if they give in to that temptation, they will fall right back into the technological trap. Because modern technology is unified, tightly organized system. So that in order to retain some technology, one finds oneself obliged to retain most technology. Hence, one ends up sacrificing only token amounts of technology and and you know what he's talking about in this case right so let's say i was someone who said we have to get rid of all technology but we can't get rid of podcasts or we can't get rid of youtube well now podcasts and youtube lead to we need computers we need microphones we need cameras we need smartphones we need internet and before you know it the whole system is back up and operating just because i want a podcast to be able to rail against technology right so i'm using technology to rail against technology so right now folks i'm being pretty hypocritical but i pointed that out throughout the dust and gold standard you know i if i wouldn't be honest if i was sitting there not admitting to you that i'm obviously using technology which you know because you're listening to me but at this point i think we're so late in the game compared to what this author was talking about what needed to be done 28 years ago that the only way to start to spread this information to a large enough audience in order to begin the process of educating people on what the actual root cause of their problems are is through the internet because we're not going to tear the internet down tomorrow it doesn't matter it's still operational if i close down my show and you stop listening to podcasts that would be what a couple thousand of us that wouldn't use the internet that's not going to make a dent in the system 
And we would, uh, at this stage, I think most of us need the internet to be able to make money to survive in the system till we can exit the system. But at least we're starting to talk about this. I don't know anyone else who is because if it succeeded, it would be the demise of my show, my ability, obviously, to make a living. That's okay. I'm willing to sacrifice that. But if I just shut this off and say I'm a martyr, I'm going away, it's not going to make a difference. Uh, Allison McDowell kind of did that with Twitter, and it made no dent in the system whatsoever. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll make a dent in the system. I am going to shut this show down, but only for a few moments to go to a short commercial break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Let's jump right back in paragraph 201. Suppose, for example, that the revolutionaries took, quote, social justice, end quote, as a goal. Human nature being what it is, social justice would not come about spontaneously. It would have to be enforced. In order to enforce it, the revolutionaries would have to retain central organization and control. For that, they would need rapid, long-distance transportation and communication, and therefore all the technology needed to support the transportation and communication systems. To feed and clothe poor people, they would have to use agricultural and manufacturing technology and so forth, so that the attempt to ensure social justice would force them to retain most parts of the technological system. Not that we have anything against social justice, but it must not be allowed to interfere with the effort to get rid of the technological system. Now, on the other side, let me add to what the author says there. Why would you need a social justice system? But for the fact that the technological system created problems for certain sects of folks that then needed social justice so the technological system caused the problems 
right? And then the solution is needing technology to fix the supposed problems that the technological system created. See, you just go deeper and deeper and deeper into technology. Technology creates the problem, it provokes the reaction, and then the solution is more and more and more technology. And that's just the way it keeps on working. You see that today, folks. I mean, how many examples have we given over 138 episodes? I don't know, hundreds of them? Paragraph 202, it would be hopeless for revolutionaries to try to attack the system without using some modern technology. If nothing else, they must use the communications media to spread their message. But they should use modern technology for only one purpose, to attack the technological system. Well, there you go. There you go. So thank you to the author here for pointing out that it's okay for us to use technology to attack the system. And, and that's what I was just saying. You can't really attack the system uh, these days unless you're on uh, social media using the tools that the technocrats have created for the purpose of driving us deeper into technology, but to try to use that to free people of it, to spread the message, to spread the message. So you have to use those tools unless you want to start going out and flyer dropping and everything else, which you can do. And it may still be effective, but obviously you'll need the technology because you're going to need Photoshop or something to design flyers. You're going to need a printer to print them. So you still need to use technology in order to wake people up to the system. I think the key is to frame the argument correctly and put up these two ideologies against each other. Technocratic slavery versus wild nature freedom. I think that's how you have to show people uh, and get them to understand that they actually live in a slave system. Now, most people are fooled into believing that consumerism is freedom, right? So they think that they can open their Amazon Prime app, order a plastic widget, and 24 hours it shows up on their front door, and that is actually freedom. When in fact, they're ordering stuff from the technocratic slave system because once Amazon finishes consolidating the rest of the retail supply chain, then the system could cut you off from the products, not just the garbage, but real things that you actually need. Uh, Paragraph 203. Imagine an alcoholic sitting with a barrel of wine in front of him. Suppose he starts saying to himself, quote, wine isn't bad for you if used in moderation. Why they say small amounts of wine are even good for you. It won't do me any harm if I take just one little drink, end quote. Well, you know what is going to happen. Never forget that the human race with technology is just like an alcoholic with a barrel of wine. I mean, that makes perfect sense, folks, does it not? That's a great way to put it, a great story to tell people. Uh, Without actually calling them an alcoholic (laughs) or telling them they're addicted to technology, you can kind of work this out in your own way. It's got to be tailored for each person you're talking to to fit their personality. But I think you can utilize a version of that story to walk people into realizing that they are like the alcoholic with the barrel of wine. Paragraph 204, revolutionaries should have as many children as they can. Oh, no. I got to have more kids? I guess I better get to work, folks. 
there is a strong scientific evidence that social attitudes are to a significant extent inherited. No one suggests that a social attitude is a direct outcome of a person's genetic constitution, but it appears that personality traits are partly inherited and that certain personality traits tend, within the context of our society, to make a person more likely to hold this or that social attitude. I I do believe, I've said it on this show before, that for some reason, some of us are like Neo in the Matrix, the original Matrix. We aren't fully unplugged. None of us really are, I don't think, even myself. Um, But we know something is wrong. All right, it's wired into us. Uh, We're able to use common sense and critical thinking more than other folks. And for some reason, we walk around and we can feel that something just isn't right. And I think that's what allows people like us to lift the veil on the scams and the schemes and the grifts. We're able to see through the BS uh, a lot easier than some other folks are. And I think it's the same type of mentality of folks who constantly fall for scams Uh, The people that write back to the Nigerian Prince emails, folks that answer some call and start talking to someone on the phone thinking they're a sales rep. I know Instacart drivers that constantly get flim-flammed into giving up the passcode to their account to who they think is a rep on the other line, and then they get their account stolen from them. For some reason, there are people that are just more willing to walk into traps, and they just don't use common sense goes on to say objections to these findings have been raised, but the objections are feeble and seem to be ideologically motivated. In any event, no one denies that children tend on the average to hold social attitudes similar to those of their parents. From our point of view, it doesn't matter all that much whether the attitudes are passed on genetically or through childhood training. In either case, they are passed on. So what he's saying is, if you are a revolutionary, if you are someone who wants to separate from the system, exit the system, and run off to a homestead, have more kids, <laughs> have more kids, so that we could outnumber the Kens and the Karens and their uh, Ken and Karen doll children. Paragraph 205, the trouble is that many of the people who are inclined to rebel against the industrial system are also concerned about the population problems. Hence, they are apt to have few or no children. In this way, they may be handing the world over to the sort of people who support or at least accept the industrial system. Now, I would say that that may have been true in 1995, 28 years ago. Okay, that may have been true. So what he's talking about is people who generally were either, you know, the uh, tree-hugging hippies coming really from the left or maybe the conservationist conservative types who were also worried about population problems so they didn't have kids. Nowadays, I don't think... um, People fit into those boxes anymore. I think it's it's different now. So it's something we don't have to be too concerned about. Goes on to say to ensure the strength of the next generation of revolutionaries, the present generation should reproduce itself abundantly. Now, what I will say is I know there are young folks out there that think like me, because I've talked to them, who get trapped into the idea of not having a kid or kids because they don't want to bring them into this prison planet world we'll see same thing the author's talking about there from a different standpoint 
Uh, but you got to tell those people not to worry about that. I mean, I don't fear for Willie's future because I am going to raise him up to be able to survive outside and inside the system. So I don't fear. Humans have gone through problems in every single generation. Obviously, this is pretty bad with the technological prison planet, but you should not say, I'm not going to have a kid because I don't want to bring him into this crazy world. You're basically saying that's the end of your bloodline. You're just basically going to abort your whole family bloodline. Don't do that, especially if you're a fighter. Raise your kids to be fighters. Goes on to say, in doing so, they will be worsening the population problem only slightly. And the important problem is to get rid of the industrial system because once the industrial system is gone, with the world gone, the world's population necessarily will decrease. See paragraph one sixty seven. Whereas if the industrial system survives, it will continue developing new techniques of food production that may enable the world's population to keep increasing almost indefinitely. And what we know is that the technocratic revolutionists, the fourth industrial revolutionaries, right? They want to limit the population, but they're going to pick and choose who actually dies. See, if the industrial system was uprooted and we went back to, say, survival of the fittest, nature is going to decide who lives and dies. In this system, a few men, Right, the head of the technocracy pick and choose who gets to live and who gets to die. It goes on to say, paragraph 206, with regard to revolutionary strategy, the only points on which we absolutely insist are the single overriding goal must be the elimination of modern technology and that no other goal can be allowed to compete with this one. This is why anyone who is interested in politics or activism on the right or the left, this is what they need to be told. Even if you know someone and they're not bought and paid for, some radical Antifa type, uh, some nephew of yours or something, I would talk to him about this. Open his eyes. Set his activism on the real target. Goes on to say, for the rest, revolutionaries should take an empirical approach. If experience indicates that some of the recommendations made in the foregoing paragraphs are not going to give good results, then those recommendations should be discarded. Now, one other thing I just wanted to add here uh, at the end of paragraph 205, where he says the industrial, if the industrial system survives, it will continue developing new techniques of food production that may enable the world's population to keep increasing almost indefinitely, right? And I had said to you that um, either the elites are going to decide who lives and dies or nature is going to decide who lives and dies. So if you believe, if you're listening to the show and you truly believe everything that I hear you guys have been saying the last couple of years under COVID land, the high school theater production, that the elites are sticking people with jabs. They're trying to kill them. They're trying to hook them up to uh, Starlink, you know, Elon Musk satellite company through nanobots or whatever else it is. If you truly believe all this, if you believe the transhumanist stuff is real and the only logical conclusion is the engineering of humanity out of existence, then would you roll the dice to go further into the technocracy and gamble with transhumanism and gamble with DNA uh, modifying injections, or would you roll the dice and gamble with the tearing down of the technocratic system and letting nature 
run its course. I think you have to ask yourself that because some people would say to me, Dustin, you're crazy. We can't get rid of this technological society or a lot of people could die. Well, how could you say that to me if you already believe the elites are going to kill a lot of people under the technological system to support the technological system to help with the advancement of the technological system? If you truly believe that, then you already know people are going to die one way or the other. The direction we're moving, it is going to be a lot of death under the hands of the technocrats. Now, if the technocratic system was torn down, would you rather put your hands, uh, your life in the hands of nature or would you rather put your life in the hands of the technocracy? I already know for doing this show, if it gets to the point where they can pinpoint target someone to die, I'm obviously going to be on that list. So I would gamble with nature over the technocrats. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to gamble with a short break and hope you hang on. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to Payne.tv slash gold. Let's move on to the next section here in industrial society and its future. This section is titled, Two Kinds of Technology. Paragraph 207. An argument likely to be raised against our proposed revolution is that it is bound to fail. Because it is claimed throughout history, technology has always progressed, never regressed. Hence, technological regression is impossible. But this claim is false. And I'm very interested in how the author says so. Again, I haven't read this for probably about three years, and I actually do not remember this part. And this is going to be great because I rarely see technology regressing. But let's see what the author has to say. Paragraph 208. We distinguish between two kinds of technology, which we call small-scale technology and organization-dependent technology. 
small scale technology is technology that can be used by small scale communities without outside assistance organization dependent technology is technology that depends on large scale social organization we are aware of no significant cases of regression in small scale technology but organization dependent technology does regress when the social organization on which it depends breaks down Example, when the Roman Empire fell apart after the Roman small-scale technology survived because any clever village craftsman could build, for instance, a water wheel, uh, any, uh, for instance, a water wheel, any, okay, hold on a second. I'm sorry, I've got this cord that just fell down in front of my eyes, ladies and gentlemen. It says, when the Roman Empire fell apart, the Roman small-scale technology survived because any clever village craftsman could build, for instance, a water wheel. Any skilled smith could make steel by Roman methods and so forth. But the Romans' organization-dependent technology did regress. Their aqueducts fell into disrepair and were never rebuilt. Their techniques of road construction were lost. The Roman system of urban sanitation was forgotten, so that not until rather recent times did the sanitation of European cities equal that of ancient Rome. Very interesting. Very interesting outlook on this. And um, so what he would be saying, right? Unfortunately, we really don't have uh, communities anymore. But certain technologies, uh, baking bread and fire, like I'm working on now, some of that kind of stuff will last. Uh, But obviously, you could crumble the large you know, Thompson, uh, Thompson English muffin manufacturing plant, which we have one of those here, actually. It says, paragraph 209, the reason why technology has seemed always to progress is that until perhaps a century or two before the Industrial Revolution, most technology was small-scale technology. But most of the technology developed since the Industrial Revolution is organization-dependent technology. Take the refrigerator, for example. Without factory-made parts or the facilities of a post-industrial machine shop, it would be virtually impossible for a handful of local craftsmen to build a refrigerator. If by some miracle they did succeed in building one, it would be useless to them without a reliable source of electric power. So they would have to dam a stream and build a generator. Generators require large amounts of copper wire. Imagine trying to make that wire without modern machinery and Where would they get a gas suitable for refrigeration? It would be much easier to build an ice house or preserve food by drying or pickling, as one has done before the invention of the refrigerator. You know, see, that's why I was telling you a lot of what I'm working on long term for the homestead is to be able to do all the pickling, the canning. I mean, I'm working on a lot of that stuff, but I want to do it in primitive ways so I really don't have to be connected uh, to the system in any way whatsoever. If, if I so choose, that's the direction I'm going to go. We may have electricity, but then be able to turn the electricity off you know, at the breaker and live uh, primitive if we want to. That's sort of what I'm working out long term. But see, that's what he's talking about here, which is fantastic. And it falls right into line what I've told you before. The silver lining in all of this is that the tech, uh, technocracy is a paper tiger in that it relies on electricity and the Internet. Without electricity and the Internet, their entire framework, 
Their entire slave grid goes down. They cannot control the world without the Internet of Things, the Internet of Bodies, uh, the metaverse they're building, all this stuff. It cannot exist without electricity and without Internet. The whole system collapses at that point. I'm not telling you to go out and do anything crazy. I'm just telling you that's the reality. Paragraph 210, it is clear that if the industrial system were once thoroughly broken down, refrigeration technology would quickly be lost. The same is true of other organization-dependent technology. And once this technology had been lost for a generation or so, it would take centuries to rebuild it, just as it took centuries to build it the first time around. Surviving technical books would be few and scattered. An industrial society, if built from scratch without outside help, can only be built in a series of stages. You need tools to make tools to make tools to make tools. A long process of economic development and progress in social organization is required. And even in the absence of an ideology opposed to technology, there is no reason to believe that anyone would be interested in rebuilding industrial society. The enthusiasm for progress is a phenomenon peculiar to the modern form of society. And it seems not to have existed prior to the 17th century um, or thereabouts that's interesting because i'm going to get into that i was actually in my notes and i'm just jotting it back down to talk about life pre 17th century and then all of a sudden we had this idea of progress and then technological progress we have to keep growing and growing and growing i've given you examples when it comes to cities like a nice you know, average size city like Nashville, Tennessee, when I lived there, they just wanted to grow and grow and grow. Then there was too many cars. Then they want to put trolley tracks in, electric, you know, trains driving around. And before you know it, turn it into Manhattan and then tell you that it's polluted and all this stuff. I mean, just this constant growth, constant growth. Conservatives are part of this as well. I mean, look at the conservatives or the people that label themselves as conservatives in Congress or in the state houses or state governors. It's always progress. We need more business. We need to grow the tax base. How about you just get rid of taxes? How about you get rid of all the government services that we don't actually need? It was a legal man over at the podcast, The Quash. Somebody asked the question, uh, should we allow, I don't know what it was, should we allow uh, gay stuff, LBGTQ stuff to be taught in schools or should it be banned? Legal man said public education should be banned. The schools should be banned. See, he gets down to the root cause, the truth. The government has no right to have public schools. Paragraph 211. In the late Middle Ages, they were four main civilizations that were about equally advanced. Europe the Islamic world, India, and the Far East. That would be China, Japan, and Korea. Three of those civilizations remained more or less stable, and only Europe became dynamic. No one knows why Europe became dynamic at that time. Historians have their theories, but these are only speculation. At any rate, it is clear that rapid development toward a technological form of society occurs only under special conditions. So there is no reason to assume that a long-lasting technological regression cannot be brought about all right that's very important so what the author is saying is that it can be done and basically the technological society we live under today is an anomaly 
Paragraph 212, would society eventually develop again toward an industrial technological form? Maybe, but there is no use in worrying about it since we can't predict or control events 500 or 1,000 years in the future. Those problems must be dealt with by the people who will live in that time. And this is what I keep saying to you, right? If, if let's say tomorrow, let's just say there was a solar flare and it blew out the electrical grid and therefore all the modern technology that you know of today is useless, it's gone, and they can't get it back up and running and we go through a Mad Max period and eventually the trees are growing up through the buildings and nothing is being maintained and you return to sort of a primitive society. Let's just say that happened, okay? And then all of a sudden people wanted to organize to start rebuilding the society of yesterday year which at that time would be 50 or 100 years in the past it's like the same issue with us trying to return this society back to old society it's going to be very difficult to organize and people remember that the industrial system collapsed it brought a lot of pain and suffering and therefore who's really going to want to go back in time plus there is no more mass communication no more uh, reaching across the world to talk to each other. You're back to local small communities. So would people get back to the homesteading type of life or they automatically want to go back to rebuilding the technological slave system that they lived under before that they look at as the cause of their problems? Of course, maybe people end up being happier because all of their smart TVs and devices were destroyed, and then they realize after about a week of withdrawal that they actually don't need those things any longer. All right, folks? I mean, you're going to need it, because we're coming right back after this short break right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. The Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Payne.tv slash gold. Let's pick up here with a new section called The Danger of Leftism. 
Paragraph 213, because of their need for rebellion and for membership in a movement, leftists or persons of similar psychological type often are unattracted to a rebellious or activist movement whose goals and membership are not initially leftist. The resulting influx of leftish types can easily turn a neo-leftist movement into a leftist one so that leftist goals replace or distort the original goals of the movement. Now, folks, if you come from the left or you're listening because someone asked you to and you identify as the left, do not take offense to this. The author criticized folks from the right as well. The author is very nuanced. He is post-political. He does not believe in labels, and he breaks everything down based on science and psychology. All right, so don't take offense to this. And to be honest with you, I think in the modern era, we could get people from the left on board with some of these ideas because we can use an Alinsky tactic, Saul Alinsky, Rules for Radicals, and use the enemy's own book of rules against them. So if we believe that the technocracy, the technocrats have created all of these movements, these controlled opposition movements, there's all kinds of real people at the street level that have adopted the narrative of the movements like the climate change people well if you can break through and show them that the real pollution right tell them listen you're from the left you like tree hugging hippies yes i do even though they're nothing like that now now they have blue hair and everything and they're crazy but you say oh you like tree hugging hippies how do the tree hugging hippies know that the oil i mean that the uh, soil the water The air and the food have been poisoned. Who's poisoning it? The very people that are telling you that you're the polluter because you're breathing out CO2. They are telling you you're the polluter. You need to be killed. You need to be stuffed into an enslavement system, right, into a digital slave state, CBDC, UBI system, when in fact they are the ones polluting the earth and poisoning you. So you can turn the leftists against these folks. As uh, Wide Awake Jim has pointed uh, pointed out, no one really likes bankers, right? Bankers are pretty pretty dirty people in the minds of most. And the bankers are the ones behind all this. So turn these folks against the bankers. Use their own book of rules against them. Paragraph 214, to avoid this, a movement that exalts nature and opposes technology, must take a resolutely anti-leftist stance and must avoid all collaboration with leftists. Leftism is in the long run inconsistent with wild nature, with human freedom, and with the elimination of modern technology. Leftism is collectivist. It seeks to bind together the entire world, both nature and the human race, into a unified whole. But this implies management of nature and of human life by organized society, and it requires advanced technology. You can't have a united world without rapid transportation and communication. You can't make all people love one another without sophisticated psychological techniques. You can't have a, quote, planned society, end quote, without the necessary technological base. Above all, leftism is driven by the need for power, and the leftists seek 
takes power on a collective basis through identification with a mass movement or an organization. Leftism is uniquely ever to give up techno- uh, is unlikely ever to give up technology because technology is too valuable a source of collective power. Now, I agree with that on the psychology of the leftists. I agree with that for sure. It makes complete and total sense. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I believe you can take certain leftists and actually turn them against the system if you're able to show them that the system is actually the cause of the problems that they see all around them. Uh, again, this is written 28 years ago in 1995. So some of this stuff that was laid out uh, was actually being based on the definition of what the leftist movement was at the time. Uh, paragraph 215, the anarchist too seeks power, but he seeks it on an individual or small group basis. He wants individuals and small groups to be able to control the circumstances of their own lives. He opposes technology because it makes small groups dependent on large organizations. So you have to find the leftists that were indoctrinated into hating corporations back when that fit the mold of the system. The system wanted that to occur. They wanted the leftists attacking corporations because then they would put fake uh, legislation and regulation into place, which actually crumbled and destroyed small businesses and medium-sized businesses and drove all the power into the hands of the organizations. But there are still folks walking around that were indoctrinated with the propaganda of hating organizations, hating Wall Street, hating banks. That's a good thing because now we know those are our real enemies and you can use that old indoctrination to your advantage. That's how I see it, folks. So start talking Talk to, talking to some people that identify on the left. See where they stand. Are they old left, new left, hippie left? Where do they come from? And see if you can plant some of this into their heads and see how they react to it. Paragraph 216. Some leftists may seem to oppose technology, but they will oppose it only so long as they are outsiders and the technological system is controlled by non-leftists. If leftism ever becomes dominant in society so that the technological system becomes a tool in the hands of leftists, they will enthusiastically use it and promote its growth. Now, what I would say to the author if I was speaking to him today is that we see this happen both in technology and in government, right? So, and it happens on both sides. So when the left has control of government, they love the government. When the left does not have control of government, they generally hate government. But the people on the right do the same thing, and the same goes with technology. People on the right hate Elon Musk until they think Elon Musk is on their side, and then all of a sudden they love Elon Musk and all of the technology that he's developing. Right? They hate Twitter. Twitter censors. It's on the left. Elon Musk buys it. All of a sudden, they love Twitter. Everyone is inconsistent because they're actually being selfish and because they're blind and they have hope and they believe that billionaires are coming to save them. Once they understand that's not the case, I think you can turn a lot of people against the system.
In doing this, they will be repeating a pattern that leftism has shown again and again in the past. When the Bolsheviks in Russia were outsiders, they vigorously opposed censorship and the secret police. They advocated self-determination for ethnic minorities and so forth. But as soon as they came into power themselves, they imposed a tighter censorship and created a more ruthless secret police than any that had existed under the stars, under the czars, and they oppressed ethnic minorities at least as much as the czars had done. In the United States a couple of decades ago, when leftists were a minority in our universities, leftist professors were vigorous proponents of academic freedom, but today, in those of our universities where leftists have become dominant, they have shown themselves ready to take away from everyone else's academic freedom. This is, quote, political correctness, end quote. The same will happen with leftists and technology. They will use it to oppose everyone else if they ever get it under their own control. All right, so now you see where the author's coming from. He's, he's accurate in all of this. Okay, but again, I believe in today's world, now that definitions have been mixed up, there's no more black and white anymore. I think a lot of people don't really know what they are. They might think there's some label, but they can't really define it. That you have the ability, if you're the smarter, more well-researched, more cutting person, to be able to push them in the direction to turn them away from the technological system. I think you can. I think you have to try it out. And this is a movement that is going to be one-to-one. It's going to take a long time. This isn't going to just happen overnight. So start to feel people out, as Wide Awake Jim has been doing. Maria Albanese used to, but she hates people so much she doesn't talk to them anymore. Uh, I do this all the time. I like to feel out where people are coming from. Paragraph 217. In earlier revolutions, leftists of the most power-hungry type repeatedly have first cooperated with non-leftist revolutionaries as well as with leftists of a more libertarian inclination and later have double-crossed them to seize power for themselves. Robespierre did this in the French Revolution. The Bolsheviks did it in the Russian Revolution. The communists did it in Spain in 1938 and Castro and his followers did it in Cuba. Given the past history of leftism, it would be utterly foolish for non-leftist revolutionaries today to collaborate with leftists. And I'm not talking about collaborating with them on some sort of a mass scale or an organized fashion. I'm just talking about, you know some in your life, start to try to turn them against technology. It's a one-on-one thing. See if you can get them to understand it. See if you can get them at least to grasp this. I'd be interested. Email me, me at DustinGoldShow.com, and let me know uh, how they react to this. And I know everyone's going to run into different circumstances, and that's totally fine. But it would be interesting. Uh, Paragraph 218. Various thinkers have pointed out that leftism is a kind of religion. Leftism is not a religion in the strict sense because leftist doctrine does not postulate the existence of any supernatural being. But for the leftists, leftism plays a psychological role, much like that which religion plays for some people. The leftist needs to believe in leftism. It plays a vital role in his psychological economy. His beliefs are not easily modified by logic or facts. He has a deep conviction that leftism is morally right with a capital R, and that he has not only a right, but a duty to impose leftist morality on everyone. 
However, many of the people we are referring to as leftists do not think of themselves as leftists and would not describe their system of belief as leftism. We use the term leftism because we don't know of any better word to designate the spectrum of related creeds that includes the feminist, gay rights, political correctness, etc. movements, and because these movements have a strong affinity with the old left. See paragraphs 227 to 230. Now, what I would uh, recommend, folks, yeah, like those groups that they're running around screaming, you know, feminism, gay rights, political correctness, stuff, wokeness. No, I don't think those kind of people you're going to wake up. I'm just talking about your regular old neighbor who may identify as being on the left or an old Democrat. I think you can turn those kind of people against this system. Paragraph 219, and and you could describe technocracy as fascism, and I think most run-of-the-mill leftists are not on board with at least the fictional view of communism that they have. So you can talk about technocracy as communism, especially to folks on the right and to people on the left as fascism, because it does combine both elements. Paragraph 219. Leftism is a totalitarian force. Wherever leftism is in a position of power, it tends to invade every private corner and force every thought into a leftist mold. In part, this is because of the quasi-religious character of leftism. Everything contrary to leftist beliefs represents sin. More importantly, leftism is a totalitarian force because of the leftist drive for power. The leftist seeks to satisfy his need for power through identification with a social movement, and he tries to go through the power process by helping to pursue and attain the goals of the movement. See paragraph 83. But no matter how far the movement has gone in attaining its goals, the leftist is never satisfied because his activism is a surrogate activity. See paragraph 41. Now, that's important because I'm going to show you this through the videos I have on Saul Linsky and his progressive movement in the uh, you know 1960s and such. I was going to get through that we stopped because we were going into christmas and i saw the numbers were going down and i didn't want to do that important series while everyone was on a mental break over the holidays so we'll get back to that and i will show you exactly how that works let's continue that is the leftist real motive is not to attain the ostensible goals of leftism in reality he's motivated motivated by the sense of power he gets from struggling for and then reaching a social goal Consequently, the leftist is never satisfied with the goals he has already attained. His need for the power process leads him always to pursue some new goal. The leftist wants equal opportunities for minorities. When that is attained, he insists on statistical equality of achievement by minorities. And as long as anyone harbors in some corner of his mind a negative attitude towards some minority, the leftist has to re-educate him. And ethnic minorities are not enough. No one can be allowed to have a negative attitude toward homosexuals, disabled people, fat people, old people, ugly people, and so on and so on and so on. It's not enough that the public should be informed about the hazards of smoking. A warning has to be stamped on every package of cigarettes. Then cigarette advertising has to be restricted if not banned. The activist will never be satisfied until tobacco is outlawed, and after that it will be alcohol 
alcohol than junk food, etc. Activists have fought gross child abuse, which is reasonable, but now they want to stop all spanking. When they have done that, they will want to ban anything else they consider unwholesome. Then another thing, then another, and another. They will never be satisfied until they have complete control over all child-rearing practices, and then they will move on to another cause. And, and let me say this, because that is quite important. Um, and I had told you before, when I was working toward the Saul Alinsky series, that I was going to show you how old world Alinsky progressivism was really the driving ideology behind technocracy. And so this author actually brings it out there because he's explaining how technocracy comes to fruition. In order to control everything, you need to have a technological system to control, to regulate, to monitor, to govern. Right, And so this idea of Alinsky progressivism grows into the larger picture of what is technocracy today. So the author is breaking that down, and he's explaining this. Now, again, I'm not advocating working with large leftist organizations. I'm not saying to go knock on the door of Antifa. I am just saying to try to start to figure out if you can wake up people who identify as the left. Because with everything else the author says, I 100% wholeheartedly agree, you are not going to work with leftist organizations the other part the author doesn't get into but almost every organization that exists today is completely 100 controlled by the technocratic system almost everything organized at this point is controlled uh, from organized religion um, to uh, all of these uh, trade associations uh, everything at this point is controlled by the technocratic system so you have to wake up people on an individual level. There is no organization that's going to be an ally. The other thing is you have to get it out of your mind that there are any billionaires who are going to back a movement. Don't think of this as starting a movement. Like we're not going to start an organization called tear down the technological system and then have to build a site and get members and all this other stuff. By the time that happens, we are just an organized force. No different. There, there will be politics. Uh, people will be fighting over the messages. Learn from me and others. Read books. Start to understand how the technocratic system works. You can start back at episode one of this show if you'd like to know more about it. And then start to preach yourself and wake people up to the message. Be an abolitionist. Be a freedom fighter. Start to explain to people what the root cause of their problems are, and that is the technological system. That is technocracy, ladies and gentlemen. And as you know, if you listen to the show, it only ends in one place, and that is the engineering of humanity out of existence. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll finish this paper up tomorrow, I promise. I will see you then for episode 139. My name is Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard Podcast right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.